0: You're listening to episode 191 of Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss theology and cultural issues from a Reformed perspective. I'm Jared Luchibor, Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get to today's episode, I want to invite you to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's 2023 Center for Missions and Evangelism Conference held in Lansing, Illinois on October 6-7. At this year's conference titled Beyond the Walls, Faithful Mission in an Age of Adversity, our speakers, including Burke Parsons from Ligonier Ministries, Chad Vegas from Radius International, faculty from the seminary, and others, will bring an encouragement to church leaders and lay people alike by focusing on what it looks like to do faithfully reformed, outward-facing ministry together in an age of adversity. Look for more information at our website at midamerica.edu slash CME slash conference. Register today and join us for this opportunity as we seek to grow and learn together. I'm back with Dr. Alan Strange once again, who will continue to lead us in a conversation about Christian nationalism. Dr. Strange, thank you for joining me. Good to be back with you, Jared, and all of our listeners. Dr Strange, I'd like to talk today and hear from you about some important terms when it comes to Christian nationalism. But first, you do have a couple of additional books and resources that you would like our listeners to hear about. What would those be?
1: Uh, thanks, Jared. Yeah, just from last time I was I was naming a number of resources which were critical, some from a moderate or leftist point of view with respect to Christian nationalism. And an important one of a few years back was Catherine Stewart's The Power Worshippers Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. You can see where she's coming from. And back of that was an Oxford Press book uh, that's uh, seeking to be a little more objective, but uh, still within this kind of academic mainstream called The Origins of American Religious Nationalism by Sam Hazelby So those uh, are a couple of more resources that our listeners could look at. So some have
0: criticized Stephen Wolfe. You mentioned uh, his book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. Some have criticized him for not using the Bible. What do you think about that?
1: Yes. um, Well, the book talks about um, creation. It talks about the covenant of works as a part of this. Uh, It talks about Political theology in general, and it really finds Christian nationalism to be the great end of all things. So I can appreciate why, in a sense, he he does what he does. He says, "I accept the reformed understanding of many of these things, of the relationship of church and state." Um, but what's interesting about that, let me just say this about that point, he actually uh, plugs into, as he sees it, the reformed understanding of politics, church and state, the role of the magistrate from the period of the 16th through the 18th century. What's quite interesting about that is even in that, it's my conviction because, and to be fair to him, he's not a historian. He is a political theorist. Mm. So he does what political theorists or philosophers or that sort often do when they go to historical sources. That is to say, they decontextualize those sources and they recontextualize them in their own context. So he cites Calvin a lot or Turretin a lot, others our readers would be familiar with, Um but he doesn't necessarily... He he's not he's not really looking in depth at what their context is and what exactly they meant, and how we should understand them as things have developed, and he's not also attending to the point that since that time, since the 18th century, within the reformed faith, he he may recognize it, but he doesn't really deal with it. That within the reformed and Presbyterian churches. There have been some changes about the view of what is the role of the civil magistrate vis-a-vis the enforcement of the law of God in both tables. Um, There have been some changes in the American context. The uh, Westminster Standards were modified uh, at these points, and in the uh, context of the Reformed churches, the Three Forms of Unity, for example— Uh, There have been modifications even within the 20th century in the time of Abraham Kuyper about these matters and having to do with the relationship of church and state and how does this play out. So if you look at the Three Forms of Unity and the Westminster Standards, the the confessional churches, say the URC, RCUS, those churches on the Three Forms side or on the Presbyterian side, the PCA, the OPC, those churches that abide by it, seek to be confessional particularly. uh, Those churches have made and accepted these changes, and he doesn't really account for that. He doesn't really say why that was particularly or clearly wrong, uh, he just goes back to certain figures and says, "We've departed from that. Mm. We've departed from Turretin. We, well, we haven't departed from Turretin on the vast majority of things, or Calvin on the vast majority of things. Though we may have come to see this particular issue differently. I, I don't think historically he really accounts for that. And I think somebody like David Ennis, uh, who writes on politics from a published by PNR." Uh, from a from a reform point of view, uh, deals much more historically with what has developed and where we are right now. Uh, Wolf's whole book idealizes a certain view of church and state that, if it ever existed, hasn't existed for hundreds of years, and he's seeking to recapture. And this is my criticism. It ultimately goes in this direction, that the way he speaks about revolution and the right of revolution and that we're under a tyranny and it seems to imply or it does say that we should overthrow this tyranny. The only way we can get back to this or get to a better place, sort of what Wilson is talking about in his Mere Christendom, it's hard to see how this is to be done without coercion. Hmm. And so all this is to say, though, you you can't really argue all this without treating the Bible in any sense. Um, he, He doesn't, he doesn't for example there's there's he talks about he talks about nations he talks about that not in a clear biblical sense though because the bible if you look at the old covenant there's a certain view the the the, the greek word of course is that we typically translate nations for example in the in the great uh, commission uh is 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 ethnē and we translate that nations it really means people groups. It's the same word we get the word ethnic from, yeah. right? Ethnic identity. And so uh, nations in the Old Testament sense, nations in the older sense, were discrete groups of people with a, with a discrete language, with a discrete culture. And he Wolf argues throughout his book that we somehow need to return to that. We need to recapture that. Um, but And he argues that it's unalloyedly good that, that nations developed in all of these particularities. But it's interesting that he, he doesn't even discuss Babel. How can you talk about nations? They were together and their particularities, at least at Babel, they spoke the same language when they came there, and then God confuses the languages. So somehow the particularities are a judgment of God. They're not just an unalloyed good. And Pentecost, we all understand when we speak of it theologically as a sort of reverse Babel, mm-hmm. so that you have yes, you still have all the languages there, but the same message, the same gospel message, is being preached uh, there. And all the languages are hearing it in their own language. So there's there's a lot of things that I think are deficient in that respect about Wolf's not using the scripture. So let's
0: look at some important terms for Christian nationalism that Wolf uses. Um, It's going to be an interesting question. What does he mean when he uses the word nationalism? And dare I
1: say, what does he mean when he uses the word Christian in this sense? Well, he defines Christian nationalism in this way. He says, Christian nationalism is a totality of national action consisting of civil laws and social customs conducted by a Christian nation as a Christian nation, in order to procure for itself both earthly and heavenly good in Christ. And um, part of the problem with this definition is it seems like, and this is the thrust of the book, that the greatest desiderata, the greatest thing that we all ought to be aiming for, is not uh, the regeneration of hearts and lives of individual persons, nor is it the reformation, as it were, of the church and the spread of the church and the spread of the church's message. He even says at a few points something to the effect of, unless and until all of this, what what happens in people uh, spiritually, what happens in the church as an institution, what happens in the institution of the family, the Christian family, the Christian church, Unless and until all of this is properly externalized, not only in the state, but throughout a whole culture, you don't really have Christianity come into its own. You don't have Christianity purposed for what God purposed it for. The purpose and the thrust is in this world, before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, for there to be this rather full realization of of Christianity manifesting itself in every aspect. And what I find interesting there is, of course, if we're to get from where we are right now, which is an increasingly secularized and increasingly hostile society to the faith, if we're to get to where he's talking about, it's hard to see how that's to be done apart from violence and revolution. And he says in the book that he will justify revolution. He will justify. Now part of what he means is he will talk about he will talk about resistance theory, which has always been a part of the reform discussion. But he says he will he will do this. But part of what I find interesting here, uh and and dismaying, if I may say, is that earlier folks, and he wants to maybe tie this in a little bit, but earlier folks say Christian reconstructionists who have talked about uh, a desire for all society to be reconstructed along distinctly Christian lines so that our, not only the state, but all of our culture, right? The art, the music, all of that has distinctly Christian figure, uh, uh, Christian uh, texture to it, you might say. Somebody who, you know, the father of, of, of Christian reconstructionism is Rususso Rushduni. And um, Rushduni, uh, uh, though, was very clear, and I, I had a private lunch with him some years ago, about 35 years ago, he was at a conference in Florida. Uh, there was I was at this conference. I was asked and I was in seminary. Some folks paid for me to go there. And I ended up having lunch with uh, Dr. Rush Dooney. And I was not then or now uh, sympathetic to the whole program he was setting forth. I'm not a post-millennialist. There's a number of things there. And I was asking him, how are we supposed to get to your vision of this reconstructed society from where we are how do we get there from our secularized society and he said um he made it very clear that it was through regeneration and this is this here's a citation even from wikipedia uh, in the christian reconstruction article on him on uh, rushduni where it says that rushduni nevertheless repeatedly expressed his opposition to any sort of violent revolution and advocated instead the gradual reformation, often termed regeneration. And he told me that's what he was looking for. Uh, I, I said, what are you looking for in, in among people? And he said, the regeneration of hearts and lives. Mm-hmm. And he said he, he looked for that regeneration of society from the bottom up, beginning with the individual and the family, and from there gradually reforming other spheres of authority, including the church and state. And, of course, many people know Greg Bonson as tied into this, uh Bonson also famously in an interview pointed out that such a system, as he described in his, uh, in his Christian ethics and theonomy, the Christian ethics, Bonson points out such a system would only be possible if the culture at large were a Christian culture and the force of government could not be used to impose Christianity on a culture that did not want it. And so that's not what Christian nationalists are talking about now. No they're talking about in a way of basically saying, we're tired of being pushed around. We're tired of being marginalized. We're going to strike back. And of course, we sing hymns like, not with swords loud clashing, a roll of stirring drums, but deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. And there's a sense in which they're saying, okay, that may be okay for the church, but this is how we want Christians to, you know, conduct themselves in every other area to achieve this kind of really Christian culture and Christian society. This is our aim, and we're going to do everything in our power to bring it about. Let's look at some other terms that he
0: uses. What does he mean by uh, nation? What What role does ethnicity play? And what does he mean when he says that grace restores nature? Let's, let's look at those three real quick.
1: Yeah, well— <laughs> I think I've gotten at that a little bit. When he talks about nation, uh, he never clearly defines nation, interestingly. He defines Christian nationalism, and he defines what he's looking for. But as I said, uh, I could read to you. We don't have time to do that right now, but I could read to you what he says, and there's a shifting kind of definition. So nation means anywhere from a particular ethnic group that speaks the same language, has the same culture, to something more like if you're talking about America, uh, America has not been for some time that, and it's more of an empire than a nation in other words it's more a collection of it's a collection of people groups yeah. and but but what 's very disturbing is there are there are places and there are things not in the book there are tweets he had later. Where he talks about ethnicity and 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 in a way that he says, well, we desire something rather pure, and he even has negative remarks. He makes negative remarks about uh, uh, marriage uh, between persons of different ethnicities, and he does not account for. He so revels in the particularities. He does not account for the gospel, particularly, you know, things were broken up as, a, as part of the curse at Babel, and the gospel takes down the middle wall between Jew and Gentile. The gospel brings back together, and I'm not saying I would agree with him. That doesn't mean it does away with all cultures. Um, we can talk more about that next time, perhaps. Next time, I
0: ask Dr. Strange a simple question. What's wrong with Christian nationalism? Tune in next week to hear his answer. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends or family. Your support helps us bring more engaging content to your ears and helps us foster not just a community of lifelong learners, but thoughtful practitioners. I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for listening. See you in the next episode.